It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I'm extremely excited once again... Because making her seasonal debut after a busy, busy summer of, I'm assuming, Olympiads and, and holidays and science, it's Allison Rudd. Also joining me in the studio once again, and it's becoming a bit of a habit here, it's Julian Lawrence. And finally joining us from a remote, undisclosed hotel in the West End of London. I suspect he's going undercover because you'll see his voice will sound rather muted throughout the podcast. It's Mr. Matt Dickinson. Good morning. There you go. Obviously, one place to start this weekend, although we will be talking some Swansea and we're talking some West Ham and some violence, maybe even some Rabonas too. Uh, But obviously, we need to start in the possible potential capital of world football, Manchester. Dicko, let's begin with you. Uh, One obvious talking point when we saw the, the team sheet. Uh, were no Anthony Martial. Remember the first sort of three months from of last season when United kept talking about what a brilliant deal Martial was and how he was going to be the greatest player in the world. And no, they didn't overspend for him at all. So no Martial, no Juan Mata, uh, another sort of former Manchester United record signing. Instead, we get Mkhitaryan, who had been injured during the um, uh, during the international break, and Jesse Lingard, who I believe had also been injured and we hadn't seen in a while uh did that surprise you and what was what was Mourinho thinking there was he trying to surprise Pep too uh I don't think surprised me hugely just because you know we know his quality and and, uh, the the sort of money United was spending on him the fact that he's a a manager's new signing you know you can imagine that he wants to integrate him pretty heavily in his first 11 but Lingard was a surprise um and well, even more of a surprise when you saw how he played. I mean, he's, you know, we've seen him, you know, he's, not, he's, he's a decent, um, very decent, you know, blossoming um, young player. But, I mean, he just, he looked like he's out of his depth. He looked scared. He looked, you know, the ball rolled over under his foot a couple of times. And he just, yeah, he, he just looked like a guy who was, whether it's a combination of overawed or just not on his game or just not quite sharp enough, whatever it was, he had an absolute stinker. Um, uh, and like Mourinho said afterwards, it's you know it's his job to to, to pick the right team. And, and obviously, managers can't always predict how a player is going to react. But you know, he dropped a couple of clangers there. Allison, um, we know Mkhitaryan was injured during the international break. Uh, it's always difficult to tell when players are fit, although you have highly paid doctors and stuff uh, to go and and determine this. I can only assume that he told either the United's medical staff passed him fit and he told Mourinho that that he was fine. I take Dicko's point about wanting to integrate him, but he didn't start him earlier when he was fit and now he starts him now in their big derby game um, when maybe he was less than 100%. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about how managers navigate this because we've all been around footballers everybody wants to play if they can 
and then nobody ever wants to admit that you know oh no I've got a bit of an arc right yeah um well it's it's, it's extra baffling in this case because Mourinho's reputation um is is somebody who wants his players to do more work than they might like so if you've got any if, if you're if you're not 100% fit it's really hard to to work in in a Mourinho team because he wants you to track back he's not interested in someone um playing because they are an exceptionally gifted player and that gift allows them to um absorb the fact they might not be you know they might have a slight knock or not be not be totally on it because he wants you to be Mourinho wants his players yes to be skillful but he he also expects them to put in a real shift um and certainly over the last few years that seems to have been his maybe all his career actually but certainly it it was it was deemed his downfall at Chelsea he put graft ahead of skill and uh, annoyed people so it is extra baffling why a player who as you say gabs no secret um there would be doubts over his fitness. A would want to go into a big match like that knowing he couldn't graft and exhibit his skill and 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 B Mourinho not think well it's just not worth the risk even if even if a physio or whatever says I think he's all right gaffer it's it just adds to a quite long list of baffling um, decisions Mourinho made. And I know that's not actually what you wanted to talk about. You wanted to talk about players pulling the wool over <laughs> managers' eyes, didn't you? Um, but I think that's slightly old-fashioned. I don't think it's as common now, is it, Julian? I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is either. I'm, I'm, I'm more surprised that if you look at that starting lineup, Mkhitaryan's best position is not on the right-hand side, it's short essentially. Paul Pogba's best position is not in a two midfield like that on the on the left hand sides, and and Marwan Fellaini's best position is not is not holding midfielder. Why do you? So what, because not everybody can play. I know you're going to where you're going with this. Not everybody can play behind the striker. Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, this is a, you're throwing Juan yeah. Mata's best position okay. probably is there as well. Like three one 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 one. Everybody behind the striker. But but maybe in a game like that, in such a big game where you know that the other team is is probably better than you or better equipped than you are. Surely you have to play players in the in the well, best positions at least. If only Mourinho had a guy who was young and very very fast, and we were told was a Cherry on Reese type, and um, and 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 for the first three months of last year, they kept going on about what a great signing he was, even though they paid an arm and a leg for him. Um, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. And imagine what, if they had another one <laughs> who was English, English anything, who is English, who could look like Nicolas Anelka, and who has a lot of pace. And uh, the last three months of last no, season was amazing. Seriously, what is up with with Martial? Is he not fit? No, he is fit, and he did actually quite well with France. He scored against Italy, his first international goal in a friendly in the international break. Does he not he do enough Bellavis. defensive work? It's the only reason why I could see him being dropped. Otherwise, it's 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 a very stupid choice. It was also, I mean, I think uh, Julian, you know, hinted at it there as well. It's it's not just the choice of those players behind the striker. It was the the, the deeper in midfield as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know that Pep. You know, he doesn't just like midfield players. He likes midfields within his midfields. I mean, that's you know, that is his philosophy. It's clearly what he's doing at City, and and they seemed you know ill-equipped right in front of the defence. Never mind behind the striker. So there were there was there was multiple issues with that menu midfield. Well, uh, you're absolutely right, Dickon. I think in, in in this game, that first half, uh, notwithstanding the, the the mistakes at the end, and, and we'll get to Mr. Bravo, um, but. 
City were so dominant in midfield. And, and Mourinho, to his credit, recognized this and and adjusted it um, at, at halftime. You know, by putting on Herrera at least now, then you know they had they had three guys in there. They weren't getting um, pushed around in, the, in in that way. But if we can turn over to City for a minute, um, we knew they were going to try something like this. Did you think, Dico, that they would be so good at it? And also, what's up with Fernandinho? I mean, I know people focused on De Bruyne or whatever. I, I, I thought Fernandinho played a virtually flawless game. No, just brilliant. Brilliant. And, and, well, I mean, I think we knew that City were capable of this. We saw them the first half against West Ham. It was just, you know, a joy to watch. I, I guess what I'd expected was that, you know, a manager like Mourinho would see that, would know how exactly how City were going to try and play and would have the resources to disrupt. And, you know, we know Mourinho is not afraid of, of you know, um, closing down a game, making it however ugly he wants it to be. And I, that was the surprise, I guess, that, you know, City were doing all the things we love to see from great football teams. You know, Silva was just exceptional. As you say, Fernandinho was pretty much flawless. De Bruyne was... You know, making you think, why could anyone ever sell him? Um, and, but, but it was the fact that you know they were sort of unruffled in doing it that was the big shock. You know, I, I think I think that was the surprise. Well, it's a good point that he makes about being unruffled. Um, Matthew Syed writes it. Uh, well, there's a lot on this. Uh, Matthew Syed writes about it in the game. Henry Winter talks about the you know how the possession ties in with the, the with sort of the defensive side of the game. This idea of of passing, and, and and I think there's a bit of an evolution from the old Guardiola tiki taka because that was kind of like sideways oscillating, wait for an opportunity, and 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 then seize it. This the this is this is much more vertical. I mean, it feels like in every pass they always have the option to turn and go and shoot or or, or, or create an assist. And if it's not there, then it goes back. Um, but of course, one of the elements in this was Claudio Bravo. Um, now, Allison, we know that we can't really trust foreign goalkeepers against Premier League crosses um, because, of course, they're different. Um, so maybe it's no surprise that, you know, the the weak um, Chilean surrender monkey went and just <laughs> spilled the ball, right? Because he can't handle the physicality of the Premier League the way Brave Joe Hart would have because he Joe didn't Hart. spill a ball at the weekend either. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding on that. You are I, kidding I, sorry, on Before that. we get to Bravo's mistakes, but what did you make of, of, of this idea that it, it, it did feel a little bit because I, I've seen a lot of, I think we all have seen a lot of Guardiola teams um, at Bayern and at Barcelona. And yes, Manuel Neuer and Victor Valdez were both very, very good with their feet. But I didn't see them playing the way Claudio Bravo did. It was almost as if, like, oh, look, I want to show everybody that I signed this guy because he can play with his feet, and I'm going to make him go and play with his feet continually. It just... Did you think that was a bit overdone? Maybe it's just me. He didn't do this before. Neuer was not passing the ball 50 times a game. Yeah, no, I mean, well, it looked... The way you've described it, Gab, that's, that is what it looked like. I find it staggering that that might be true. That, I mean, there's a narrative, isn't there, that the only step that Pep Guardiola's maybe got wrong or maybe annoyed a few people or raised eyebrows is the unceremonious dumping of Joe Hart. And the way you, if you're a strong manager, 
the way you handle that is to is to is to kill kill off any speculation that you might have made a mistake or be too draconian by putting in the the, the replacement player that you say will do all the things that you're not going to get from your from the, the previous goalkeeper and, and make a point um, that isn't but that isn't that isn't good management that isn't how you manage a team you don't you don't make political statements during a match yeah, no, well, sure, but he I wasn't agree doing with you, that but it did look, it, it, it did it, look like that it did look comic comic book exaggeration I don't know would we be talking about that if it wasn't for I mean there were obviously a couple of incidents and obviously we're getting on to the, the, the Rooney thing where you know there was complete attention drawing um, playing on the ball but otherwise you know if, you, if you're using especially if you get a lead if you basically recycle the ball back through the goalkeeper who is comfortable of that who is in good distribution I didn't I didn't feel it was over the, t- over no, the top was until, over the top? until a couple of mistakes happened what was over the top, for example? There's a there's a there's a time in the first half where Otamendi is on the ball, he can he can pass it across to John Stones easily because there's no pressure. There was no pressure at all from United in the first half. But he goes back to Bravo first, and Bravo passes the ball to Stones, which you don't usually do. Otamendi is good enough to pass the ball across to John Stones, and even on the first goal, if you look at the first goal, Kolarov gets the ball back. And then no one again put pressure on him. The first time he has the ball, he still passes it to Bravo alongside the the, uh, the 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 goal line, if you want, and then Bravo gives it back to him, and then he he, he hoofs it forwards. But it looks really like Pepe said to all his defenders, when you have the ball, pass it to Claudio, pass it to Claudio, and then Claudio will pass it again. Maybe it is some some kind of psychological ploy um, on the the Bravo issue, and we'll get to the the, the Rooney incident. Um, I look at this, and I know. You know, it's Joe Hart is generally a nice guy, um, and people feel he was hard done by. So maybe we're mm, a little bit maybe not all of us. I know you don't like him, do you? No, no, it's not a question. I don't like him. Well, he looks I too he, Aryan. I called no, I called, I called him. I did call him a prat in print um, uh, a couple of weeks ago because I thought the the way he handled the summer, in particular, um, it was sort of almighty hubris of he was walking around like you know cock of the walk at the four games um he was being a, a, a prat in his dealings with us as well um and um you know he crashed crashed to earth pretty spectacularly that was um yeah there's quite a there's quite a bit to mix in there i just okay you for, know, sorry for, I, I need to interject this so the for, for people who don't know um Dicko, you were covering England at the Euros, covering England at a major competition, which is not something that I have done in terms of going to the England camp every day. It sounds to me like an absolutely horrendous experience. Um, <laughs> I'm still, tra- I'm still traumatized. So, so it is okay. Uh, so, other than people who've experienced that, but I, it seemed to me there were a lot of people who were ready to jump on Bravo if he made the mistakes, and and he made. Let's face it, he he, he made at least what three enormous mistakes that could have easily cost them the game if you count the Rooney incident as well. Um, but I kind of feel that I'm not overly concerned here, Dicko. Am I right in not being overly concerned? Yeah. Because we well, know I he's thought... a good goalkeeper. He made one mistake because of obvious miscommunication with Sanya. He made another mistake, I think because of miscommunication with... Was it was it Stones he was jumping with? Hmm. Um well, um, the mistake on the cross. I mean, I think there is, you know, look, he's 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 an experienced keeper. He's had to deal with a lot. Yeah, of, he's a foreign keeper, but, though. Yeah. But banging around the boxes. But you know, we, I think he's, we're allowed to uh, a bit of adjustment time. But no, I think, look, 
it's clear that, that Guardiola thinks he is a better distributor as a key issue than Joe Hart. As you say, we saw Joe Hart can flap at crosses and make horrendous ricks at the weekend as well. Um, pretty much any goalkeeper is capable of doing that. Equally, we can see, and maybe <laughs> Saturday was not the best demonstration of it, we can see that he thinks that Claudio Bravo is a guy who can you know, be part of a build-from-the-back team in a way that Joe Hart can't. And um, I... I I think, uh, I'm not saying, you know, Pep Guardiola makes every decision right, but I think we can see the thinking at the very least. Um, and and we need to give it a few more weeks to see it play out. Anybody here want to make a case that Bravo is not an upgrade over Joe Hart? No? Okay, good. Let's move on and talk about the Wayne Rooney incident. Um, and, and in some ways, I'd like to also tie this into what happened afterwards when I thought Rooney was in big trouble did, did, when he was he went to press Bravo Bravo passes the ball away and it looked to me like Rooney just swings out his leg and takes an almighty whack at him um, and that didn't get much much play but the Bravo thing was Bravo takes a, a heavy touch Rooney comes in and Bravo goes in with I thought with a lot of force to win the ball rightly so but also with his foot up and I thought that was a penalty. I know some people disagree, but let's turn to a qualified referee. I don't know why people are disagreeing with you, Gav. It, you know, we keep saying it. You have to make a judgment call on what you see as a referee. But if you've been see, if you've seen it a few times, it is clearly almost textbook penalty. It's and it's it's dangerous, reckless. It's everything. You can throw all the adjectives you need to know as a referee at it. I disagree. Did he get the ball first? Doesn't matter. No, I'm. I'm just asking you. Did he get the ball first? Yes, yeah, he did. With right. with too much force, and it's feet force, off the ground. For, for, he got the ball first. Well, you. I have to say, it's a classic case for for, for video video re, where a video replay, um, you know, which we we know is on on the way, but this is a case where is it a clear enough mistake that the the referee is overruled because, as Julian says. He gets the ball. Now, I think he gets the ball with excessive force. I think most people think it's excessive force. But that is a quite a, a sort of, uh, you know, that, that is a personal judgment. Um, and it's an interesting one to think that if the referee has seen it pretty well uh, and thinks it's borderline, whether in this instance there would be a sort of case for, no, 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 you've got that horribly wrong. That must that must be overruled. I think this is a classic case where it would fall into a, a grey area, which to say, I, I think if... If uh, if a penalty was given uh, and a card, then we could all understand why. Well, it, it, I mean, it's maybe a debate for another time, but you do raise a great point because this is something where you have to judge the person's force, right? Because there's not any dispute that he got to the ball first. And judging something, somebody the, the force with which somebody goes in on a replay, I think is very different and perhaps misleading. It's one thing to use video replays for when there was contact, there wasn't contact, the the, the Cahill thing, which we'll get to. But um, I, to me, it, it, it was it was a penalty. Uh, one thing I wanted to throw out there um, to uh, people who maybe were strikers in the past, if Rudy had stayed on his feet rather than, rather than, than sliding to win the ball and just kind of run into Bravo, would he have got there... Quicker and maybe won the penalty. I don't. I don't think so. I think he gets there because he slides tackled, and if he doesn't slide tackled, and it's, for me it's a fifty-fifty. The ball is in between them. They both go for the ball. They both slide tackled. One with a bigger force than the other. I give you that, Bravo. And he gets the ball first. But if Rooney hasn't 
tackled and slight tackled, I don't think he would have got the ball and it would have been a, an even cleaner tackle from Bravo and Rooney would have just jumped over the leg and that would have been it. All right, so much for my theory there. <laughs> um, so Mourinho has a point. This would have changed the game. Yes? Well, in certain stage games, you know, substitutions, uh, getting the right team in the first place, I mean, it's one of the many things. I mean, you know, it's uh, that's life. <laughs> right, enough of that. Let's move on to Swansea, where uh, the Liberty Stadium, um, Swansea hosted Chelsea. Um, I don't know if we should start with that first half or if we should just start with one of the absolute worst penalty decisions. Um, or one of the not penalties is one of the worst refereeing decisions I've seen in in a long time, and and you weren't even on the moon. This is true. <laughs> I missed that point, but <laughs> Alison, I'm just going to go to you because you have to be the defenders of all things referee. But I want to ask you one thing that I don't like talking about body language. People in this country seem to love talking about body language. After Mariner goes down, sorry, after uh, <laughs> after Cahill goes down and Leroy first talks, uh, scores the goal, Cahill sort of approaches Mariner. And in the TV pictures, he just looks at him with this look of absolute disdain. Like, oh, you little dog turd stuck under my shoe. Uh, you know, this patronizing smile and everything. I don't think Mariner would want to see that back. And I would imagine right now as I speak... Mike Riley's watching the pictures and shaking his head and saying, like, we don't want our referees behaving this way because you really look like an absolute, absolute idiot when I don't, you do well, no, that. Well, I, th- I, 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 I don't know why he looked like that, but I suspect he looked like that because... He thought Cahill was trying of, to con him? No, because of what Cahill was saying and, and because of what he did see and what happened. He, was, he might well have been thinking... Oh my giddy ant! I might have got that wrong. And the way you cover that up is to look as stern as you can, and it just looks the mixture of embarrassment and. But he wasn't looking stern. stern. He was looking mocking. I know, but I'm, I'm, I, I don't think he probably meant to look that mocking. It's just that if you've, if you're in the public eye and you don't want to look an idiot, you can end up overcompensating and trying to look statesmanlike. And <laughs> we it all, comes we all over do, that. We all way. do that. I do that with my eleven-year-old all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, obviously, I don't, I'm assuming nobody wants to go and argue that, in fact, Leroy Fur got the ball cleanly from Gary Cahill and it was not a penalty. This was just, this is a really major refereeing mistake. We can look at the reasons why, but it was a major refereeing mistake, yes? Absolutely. I think, well, and Howard, Howard Webb was spot on in, in the, the, the game this morning when he just said it's one of those ones where it's it's just every, everything about it you know, there, there should be telling you, you know, there's no reason why Cahill's going to go down. There's no reason why, you know, it's just sort of, it's such an unnatural thing to happen that you know, as he describes it, it's just one of those safe free kicks to give. Gary Cahill's so upset. I, I've never seen this from, from an English player going out and getting onto the match of the day cameras and going to visit Mariner to talk about, and obviously wanted to clear his reputation. I think some people may like Cahill, somebody not, but he's obviously somebody who generally has, does not have a reputation as being a dirty player or a cheat, and he seemed... I, the, the match of the day segment seemed to go on and on and on. Yeah. He seemed so upset, and I can fully understand that and sympathize. Is this also maybe Chelsea being a little bit clever just to drive the point really home that but we were really hard done by and we left two points behind and and that's maybe almost designed to plant the seed in the heads of some people? Well, that that implies he's been told to look annoyed and cross well, no, and no, 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 no. Indignant. Listen, I don't think Gary Cahill goes to see the referee without Chelsea's permission. 
I, I, I don't see sure. any context, context where a club just allows their player to go like, oh, okay, why don't you just wander down the hallway and go knock on the referee's door? But I mean, if Cahill it happened, might have said, I really want to. Well, that's I fine. Really but but then, then somebody at Chelsea made a decision it. and yeah. said, okay, fine. You know, we trust you to go and be civil. You know, we're not going to let well, Diego gonna... Costa do it because <laughs> who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> given <laughs> so given that come. Chelsea... Well, there's also, let's remember, the sort of context of Chelsea and referees, which is a, a pretty um, pretty explosive um, volcanic relationship under under a particular manager. So, um, as you say, it's not, it's not something you would allow a player to do lightly, um, especially when you've had the disciplinary issues that Chelsea have had in the past. Um, I want to talk about something that happened in the first half, which again they made a big chuck. Sorry, just to, no, just to finish on Leroy Fern and and Kale, we he didn't see it. It's quite clear from when you look at the footage that the way Mariner is positioned, he can't see it. Neither can his linesman. The one, the one on and that the fourth side of official the pitch. is scratching his rear end or trying to keep Antonio Conte calm. So like, <laughs> there's nobody. No, but like you know, Jeez, it's, it's a huge mistake. Like he... It's a bad mistake. But in fairness to him, he can't see. He's not gonna. He's not gonna. If he doesn't see it, he's not gonna make it up and say like because the ball moves. The ball moves exactly in the way. If you can't see it, that Leroy Fair could have had a, a, a touch on it, and then Cahill stumbles. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. And then Fergus, the ball back. You can't, you can't see that the ball moves because... He clattered into him, and then and then it's actually Cahill who moves the ball away. Mm-hmm. And if he can't see it, he's not going to make it up and just say, "Okay, well, he goes too quick anyway." Yeah, and that and that's where I disagree with with you, uh, Dicko and Howard Webb, in saying it's a safe free kick to it's give. Not, yeah, just you, because, just because it's unusual for a defender of that caliber to make that mistake doesn't mean you have to assume it was a foul. You could have. You can't make and that lost assumption. The ball. You know, it could have been anything. He couldn't see it anyway, so. 
Well, yeah, but, but uh, the, the, as I said, as I said one of the it's extraordinary that one of the assistants hasn't hasn't seen an angle on that that has just warranted yeah, yeah. Um, positioning. Was probably yeah, agreed. Well, and also, I go back to this: if there was an additional assistant referee behind the goal, then you know. But it's okay because we all have to laugh at them and say they're lollipop men and they don't do anything. Ha ha ha! Let's all laugh at them. No, but even the but video that Dico was was mentioning earlier, yeah, so which is on his way, would have, it yeah. would have been overturned and there would have been a freaking for Chelsea and game would have gone on. I, I want to go back to something that happened, which is more of a, of a generic thing that happened in the, in the first half. They did make a big deal out of it. So. Swansea go out and Francesco Guidolin decides to, to, to be uber Italian and, and, and go three at the back. They get absolutely mullered by Chelsea in the first half. Uh, Diego Costa, fantastic. And so with four minutes to go, he says, all right, let's change the system entirely, um, which again is pretty normal in Italian football that you would change the system. Less normal is making a change during the first half. Um, but... It's minute 41. He takes off Neil Taylor. Um, he puts on Barrow so that they can switch, I guess, to a, to a 4-3-1-2. Neil Taylor is hugely upset, hugly upset on the bench. Ranieri, uh, not Ranieri, sorry, Guidolin, sorry, I get my, my, I get my aging Italian so manager. Many, like, so <laughs> many that, you know. Um, goes over, makes, like, tries to shake his hand, which... Again, it looks to me like you're making this, this into an even bigger issue. After the game, he says, I have to say sorry to Neil Taylor. Is this really that big? I mean, these, these are professional footballers, right? Neil Taylor supposedly said, oh, you could have waited till halftime. What, did, does he think people are going to like him less or think that he's rubbish? Or does he think his fans are so stupid to not realize that the reason he took him off wasn't because he was bad, but because he was moving to from from, from back three to a back four? It's English tradition. You don't hold... He's Welsh. You don't... The English game tradition, you don't haul people off before half-time unless they're injured or you think they're playing really shite. And although, although, that isn't, although that isn't the reason why in this case, it, it <laughs> does matter that the player, the player's his self-esteem will plummet and he will think, what, oh my why? God, the system didn't work because of me. Because of me. He'll think it's because of me. I These couldn't make it work. I couldn't make three at the back. I, I'm sorry, I've never met Neil Taylor. I think he's a, he's a reasonable footballer. Although, wait, was Neil Taylor the guy in the incident with Pepe Reina back in the day when he threw himself to the ground? No. Anybody remember this? Right, whatever. Was Neil Taylor who got Pepe Reina sent off years ago? Right, maybe, if it's not, I apologise. But I've never met the guy. Maybe one of you has. I am still surprised that a, a 26, 27-year-old international footballer who's been at the club who's, uh, for a long time, I think he came to the ranks there, would would be so upset and unprofessional over something like this. When it's obvious you're not what? being taken no, but off. It's not nice. It's not nice. It's not nice. It's never nice got... to be taken off. Yeah, but even, even, even less so after 41 minutes. But but it has right, but to it's, it's less nice than to concede another three exactly. or four goals exactly. and go and lose five, exactly. four and nil down in half time. I don't understand why he looks so upset and like. Tico, help me here. Yeah, no, no, I agree is. with you. I agree with you. It's a it's a change of system. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty simple, isn't it? As you, as you come off, the manager says to you, "Look, sorry, mate. You know, I'm bad to sacrifice you because we got I got the system wrong." Um, and yeah, I mean, look, say Taylor's in touch. But I think most managers um, would turn around and say, "Look, let, let's let's talk after the game." You know, but would um, most managers have gone and, and apologized in public uh, to match of the day the way the way Guidolin did? 
No, exactly. I don't think he needed to. I say, I think, you know, if you want to, in terms of man management, as he comes off, I'd, you know, if, if I were a manager, I'd turn around and say, look, sorry, you know, sorry, I've had to change the system. But I mean, that's as far as it needs to go during the game. And let's, let's have a chat afterwards. As far as Chelsea are concerned, Antonio Conte was very unhappy, although perhaps pleased by Diego Costa's performance, did make the point that Diego Costa needs more protection from referees. It did seem to me that between Amat and, and Fedor Fernandez, those two guys took a few few liberties with the big man. <laughs> this is just par for the course now because of his, his reputation. He's not going to break out of this, right, Alison? I mean, this is... Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I find the Costa and uh, discipline thing really weird. I, I think on balance, he gets... I don't know if referees are overcompensating in some way, but he gets away with more. He you still gets so? away with more than a lot of other players who play might play the same way would. It's it it baffles me. Almost every game I see with him in it, there's a sense of he was lucky not to get a second yellow or a straight red, and yet rarely does. It I I I I don't get how that works at all. I don't get how that works at all. I don't I don't know. I don't know why. I think referees are scared that they're to show that they're look uh, looking at him too closely. That they want to accept that he has a certain personality and style of football. So he doesn't actually need more protection. I don't know. He needs less protection. Pay attention, Antonio. Um, Someone back me up there. Do you never feel that way when you watch Costa? How did he last the whole game? I often think that. I think he's a great yeah, player, I but I often think, wow, we got a, you know, that was close. He was skating on ice, though. I never. I, I very rarely think poor little lamb. He does. He does <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on because. Uh, um, <clears throat> At the Olympic Stadium, no, sorry, the London Stadium, which I guess is what we're supposed to call it until they go and uh, get it sponsored by some Chinese company. Um, West Ham took a 2-0 lead. They lost 4-2. But there were apparently all sorts of of clashes and incidents of violence. Here there's there's a fundamental difference in the way the game is covered in England versus the way the game is covered in my country is that I didn't see any pictures of this in television. I didn't see any pictures of fighting fans or people rowing with stewards. Did any of you guys see it? Only stills, no. not actual footage. No. Is this? Yeah, a- I've spoken to a mate who was there and said it was. Yeah, there was definitely, as you say, it wasn't sort of, you know, charges or you know the, the sort of fighting we saw in the summer. But there was, you know, there's, there was a, a lot of gesturing, gesticulating, a lot of angry people shouting at each other. Is this a conscious decision? I know I'm just asking, I don't know, is this, and, and, and there's, if, if it is, there's a good reason for it, I guess. Is this a conscious decision by Sky or whoever's cameras were there, the, the Premier League, to not show this stuff? To, in other words, not to cover it as a news event, but simply as we're here to produce an, a piece of entertainment, which is a football match. This other stuff, we don't want to show this because it... I don't, I don't, I, well, I might be wrong, but I don't think so. I think it's more a case that, that, that what happened wasn't graphic enough or visual enough or easy to pick out unless you were just the one person with the camera trained on the crowd. I mean, I don't, you know, it's hard to cut to or focus for, or linger upon things that are, it, it, you know, it's not like bottles were thrown or right. people had blood trickling from their forehead. It wasn't. I just suspect on the day no one thought it was that interesting. Uh, Dicko, so we, we have a piece in, in the game this week by, um, by a guy named Josh White. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a very personal piece about sort of the experience of going 
to this stadium. I, I haven't been to the stadium since West Ham moved in. Um, but a lot of the issue seems to center over this 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 idea of of standing. I mean, it seems to me that the, the argument he makes that the, 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 there's there's two elements to it. One is the issue of standing, and the other one, which maybe is more interesting, um, is the issue of the fact that suddenly you have many more tickets available. Um, they're cheaper, and maybe a different. It's attracting a different sort of sort of crowd. Um, some of it good because you get more kids and people who never who couldn't never afford to go to football before. Some of it maybe people saying like, "Oh, look, for for twenty quid, I can go and start a ruck." Um, Dicko, I want to talk about the standing first. I don't understand why there are different policies in different grounds uh, around the country. I, well, I think it's not well policies of stewarding as, as much as anything. I mean, obviously, you know that the the regulations say that you should sit down if you have a seat, and obviously, all the top two, you know, the, the top two divisions are um, uh, all seater, and it's meant to be, you know, that is meant to be uh, enforced. Now, as you say, there are different um, levels of enforcement. Um, I was in, I went to um, Chelsea uh, in a. Uh, the back of, of Matthew Hardin um, for a game last season, and no one was was sitting down the entire game. It was just accepted that if you were in the area, you would have to stand up to watch it, um, and that becomes the case at, at various different um, parts of different grounds around the country. I think, um, but as the, 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 among the issues, West Ham seems to be the fact of stewarding. Obviously, they're um, in moving, there's a different stewarding company involved, as far as far as I understand, and obviously um, there seems to be an issue with where it was being enforced, how vigorously it was uh, being enforced by different stewards, um, and that's among the issues. Obviously, another issue with West Ham is that people have moved seats, and people have sort of there seems to be um, uh, a sort of mix of some people who are used to standing up in the, the, the old Bobby Moore stand at West Ham and maybe mixed in with other people, families or otherwise. So there's a lot of issues here that are really sort of a cocktail that is that is a pretty unpalatable one at the moment. It just doesn't seem to me that they, they thought about this well before because even the, 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 the easy way where Watford fans or some of them went into the, the West Ham uh, stand the West Ham fan stands to get a fight look pretty from the videos I saw on Twitter it looked pretty easy for them and I just wonder if West Ham had thought that one through well enough before moving to the new stadium on where and what kind of people were going to sit where because like Dico said you could have a stand where everybody where those fans there you know want to watch the game but where you know or you know that that stand is going to be maybe for the, the more hardcore fans and that those kind of fans are going to stand up the whole time you can have another stand where you have more family oriented crowd maybe I don't know but at least make sure that away fans can't get into home fans stands and don't get a fight as easily as they did on Saturday I, I agree and I think it takes you know I mean the fact is we all know that you know when, when, when fans are in a stadium for a while you know it just develops different parts of different stands develop their own character and as you say you sort of get an area which is the hardcore and if you're going with your your kids you you, you learn um, by sometimes by experience not to go back to that area you learn that you know obviously there are some areas that have family stands and stuff now I think you know West Ham's priority has just been getting as many bums on seats as they yeah. can um, and I think that's that's an issue for them certainly so I think oh. I, I think it's you know it's clearly taking a while for people to learn actually the hardcore kind of gather here 
uh, families should gather here and not enough has been put in to make sure that you know those are distinct um also it brings up the whole safe standing debate yeah. which is clearly back on the agenda which i mean it's is interesting celtic have started that now um but it's 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 there at first and it's clearly for all the talk that it's been you know it's been lobbied for for well over a decade now it, it's a very very slow uh, this argument it, it seems to me that what's happening now is that clubs are kind of operating a don't ask don't tell policy where uh, as Dico said there are certain grounds where certain areas especially the home fans stand the entire time and generally at least a lot of games I go to the away fans stand the entire time mm. and it's fine because they're going to that area and they expect to stand the problem with standing I think I, I don't think there's still this this health and safety issue, although I know there's always health and safety people everywhere in this country, but the reality is that you know, in, in a certain area there's only going to be a certain number of people to get in, so if if you have 500 seats and there's 500 people standing it's much less of a health and safety issue that you're not going to get a crush or, or, or things that we've seen happen elsewhere. Where it is an issue is if I go with my, with my granny who's 99 years old she doesn't want to be getting up the whole time, or if Julian goes with, with his son who's mm-hmm. three feet tall and, you know, Matt Dickinson is standing in front of him, standing and jumping up and down. The poor kid's not going to be able to see. So, so I'll punch Matt Dickinson in the face. Exactly. And then we have what we saw. <laughs> no, but, but the issue is, in a perfect world, they designate those areas as standing. But they can't do that. Not yet, anyway. So they kind of operate on this sort of gray area situation, which... I mean, I think at some point they need to they need to sort out. Uh, right? How about some quick hits? Liverpool roll to a four-one thumping of Leicester City, and it all comes together for Jurgen Klopp under his new gigantic stand, which is so big that it blocks out the sun. But that's okay because <laughs> there's the red of the cop to illuminate to provide all the illumination needed. Allison, are you filled with renewed hope? Uh oh! It was it was really peculiar because. I did not expect the new stand to make such a difference. The whole, it felt like a brand new stadium in many ways. It was odd and uh, disorientating, and uh, but then reassuring that the noise levels were better and the acoustics worked, and it felt like it could become a fortress. Uh, I am slightly concerned that Klopp said, "Oh, they can build a new stand every week," as far as he's concerned, because you. You can't have that sense of it being a special occasion just to lift the players. They have to do that all the time, regardless yeah. of how many I don't, those have been there. I don't think they're really going to build a new stand every week. Uh, but no, that, no, that I'm not worried that they're going to build a new stand every week. I'm worried that I'm worried that that was a great performance, but I, I don't want it to be a one-off just because they had to christen the stand. Just enjoy Sturridge and, and Mane and guys like that. Arsenal edge past Southampton 2-1 in a hard-fought affair. Julian, what do you make of the newcomers, Mustafi and Lucas? I thought Mustafi looked good, very good. I think him and Koscielny could, could prove to be a very good partnership. I think they complement each other really well. Lucas Perez, it was a difficult game for him because he needs some space to run into. He's got good pace and I don't think we've seen him sprint for more than two yards so it was always going to be difficult the kind of game difficult but he will have to get used to it if he wants to be successful at Arsenal because he's not going to have much space at all through the season oh, Corollary to that question can you guys name three defensive partnerships or even just two in the Premier League that are better than Mustafi and Koscielny anybody? 
Stones and Otamendi for me are close, very close, if not better. But not much in it, right? No. Anybody else? Mm. Mm. Yeah. James well, Collins. when we've got, when we've got David Luiz back. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, Come James on. Collins and Winston <laughs> Reed. Yeah, no. uh, maybe Aldo Vareld for Tonga. Yeah, yeah maybe. maybe. No, I I a little too Belgian for you. Yeah. Mm. Let's see. So, so maybe we should stop laughing at Wenger and his soft center if all of a sudden you guys think Mustafi and Koscielny as a partnership are, are about as good as Otamendi and Stones. I haven't seen. I'd say I, I would have. Vertonghen the, the the is best with uh, Alderweireld, I think. But um, his, his, best, his best seems to be a, an inconsistent thing. Okay, so the top three, yeah? Top three, yeah. Okay. We can all agree on that. Spurs win 4-0 at Stoke, and Hongmin Son seals the show. Um, Dicko, is Son a bit hard done by this season? Uh, or actually in general? Because I feel like I like him more than a lot of other people do. And are Spurs ready for that great leap forward? Uh, I think um, well, we're all growing to like him. I think you know he had a sort of um, soft introduction to the Premier League last year. Um, it's not a huge surprise given you know, there's quite a lot of competition for that role behind the striker. Um, I think we're seeing uh, that there was a chance that he might have gone in the summer, and I think they'll you know be glad to keep him. Um, we'll see more of him. And I, I learned with Perez, never judge a player after one season in the Premier League. He, I, I made a big mistake with him. And, Maybe we all owe us some too. Yeah. Um, by that logic, I don't want to judge Jansen just yet, but um, I yeah. would take Son over Jansen, even Every in a center day. forward role. Every day. Speaking of Stoke, they're bottom of the league, and Mark Hughes complained that his players are picked on by referees. Allison, you're the qualified ref here, which makes you the automatic spokesperson for the PGMOL. Um, <laughs> sort of like a, a, a female. Mike Riley, if you will. Um, Lucky me. <laughs> indeed. Uh, so, yeah, you know what's coming. Yeah. Um, well, st st the Sparky studies, have a point. Yeah, studies have shown that um, uh, big, bigger clubs get more decisions in their favour. But studies have also shown that home teams get more decisions in their favour. So maybe Mark Hughes should look to harness what can be an incredible atmosphere at the Britannia and stop moaning about niggledy-pickledy things. Should he moan about the fact that after being sent from the bench, he wasn't allowed to, to yak on the phone to Mark Bowen? He couldn't get his phone to work. But eventually, when, when, when he did, uh, they, they, they told him, no, you can't do that. New rules. Yeah. Which I think kind of makes sense if you're sent off. In fact, if you're sent off, you should be sent off. You, you should send a cha chaperone with you, and you have to go sit in the bowels of the stadium. Yeah, it makes right. more sense. West Ham go two 0 up at home to Watford, and then fall apart, losing four two. Julian, does the buck always stop with a manager when a team defends that badly, or would you rather praise Watford? And actually, which Frenchman do you like uh -huh. better, Dimitri Payet or Etienne Capoue? I think. Belich, who we all love, made a mistake by picking James Collins. Who on earth would pick James Collins to play in the Premier League when you've got Ogbonna on the bench? Even Nordweil could play as a centre-half. Um, Avenging Angelo Ogbonna is coming for you. Yes, exactly. Six foot three, eyes of blue. But what well, not quite. Well, in his case, but. <laughs> but Watford deserves a lot of praise because I think they played well and it seemed they got spurred on by the, the showboating from, from West Ham as well. And then, it's hard... It's, 
paillette or capoose like shooting my mum or my dad? You know, it's, it's hard. It's a hard question. Uh, I'll have them both in my team. They, they, they are they, they are two of your favourite Frenchmen <laughs> in the Premier League, aren't they? Which, which do you prefer, your mum or your dad? <laughs> my dad every day. Crystal Palace went away to Middlesbrough and Wilfred Zaha steals the show. Alan Pardew hints at the fact that he's a £50 million man, which kind of reminded me when... I don't know who it was. Didn't somebody once describe Sean Wright Phillips? Oh, it was Kevin Keegan once said Sean Wright Phillips was a £50 million man. And I wonder if, in my memory, but this could be entirely wrong, so don't get angry at me. (laughs) Martin O'Neill might have said that about Kenwin Jones. Um, But... Dicko, is Zaha that kind of fifty million pound man, or does he actually have a future with England and so on? And can he become a legitimate fifty million pound man? Well, the way the way the English premium is going, it'll, it'll be worth fifty million pretty soon. Um, I, I think he's uh, like Barkley; he's got talent, um, but we spend so much time arguing about his temperament, about application, about. Uh, use of game intelligence, and that's what that's what winds me up. You know, we've 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 got ball playing ability here clearly, but uh, he's got to do it a hell of a lot more consistently to get to to twenty five million, never mind fifty. Uh, Gab, I've got a question for you. Um, England's number one, John Hart, made his <laughs> debut in Serie A this weekend. How did he get on? He made a very good, this was against Atalanta, he made a very good save, and everybody thought like, oh, look, this will be a dawdle. Um, but then, as you know, historically, um, English keepers have trouble dealing with crosses. Uh, <laughs> no, it, that's, we're being unkind here. He, he made an absolute record on, on a cross into the box, which is not what you, what you expect. Um, you know, uh, and he's going to bounce back. You know, people said people saw the good and the bad in him. People, I think, want Joe Hart to do well. Now, if he has many more games like that, he won't be starting there either because Torino's backup goalkeeper, but then he's actually pretty decent. Um, so it'll take some, it'll take some getting used to. I think this is this is a test, and he can emerge from it stronger. Um, I don't think, put it this way, I don't think he'll be hurt by this performance uh, as much as he was hurt when Matt Dickinson called him a Pratt. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my guests, Julian Lawrence, Alison Rudd, and Matt Dickinson. Now, I will not be back next week. Um, I am going away for a week. I'm I'm joining, you guys may know my friend uh, Dave Clark, who does the darts on Sky. Uh, Dave is walking coast to coast across the north of England. I had no idea that you could even walk coast to coast across the north of England, uh, but he's doing it to raise money for, uh, for, for Parkinson's. It's a cause that uh, I've been touched by as well. Uh, it's a cause I believe in. So I will be joining him for the last five days of the uh, of, of, of Dave's um, walk. So that means I cannot be with you next week. We'll leave you in the capable hands of somebody, hopefully Alison Rudd. Um, and during the walk, I'll be sending updates on Twitter. So if you, as I understand it, we, I, and you have to understand, then this part, rural England, is very foreign to me. I have been up north, uh, <laughs> but generally I don't stray too far from the train station or the football ground, and I, and I hurry back uh, to inside the cocoon of the M25. So this will be very interesting for me. It's a real test. I'm, I'm going to a place called Darlington, and then I'll be going to 
places like Reeth, a place deceptively called Richmond, but it's not Richmond, it's some northern thing uh, with the same name. Um, I'm making my way to Whitby. I'll be posting updates on Twitter if you guys want to come in the evenings. Well, I'm, I'm staying in pubs. I didn't realize pubs have accommodation in this country, uh, but um, I'm sure that we'll be we'll be glad to uh, uh, to have a pint with you if you happen to live in the countryside. Um, so yeah, and of course you can also go and sponsor me or, or sponsor Dave. Um, I've got it uh, pinned on my Twitter feed. Uh, so yes, thank you for listening to all this. Uh, now remember, it's just twelve pounds for a twelve-week trial. If you want to subscribe to the Times, it's really easy. Just search the Times online, and of course you can also subscribe to this podcast. Although if you're listening to us, you probably already have. Um, uh, Till next week, bye bye. 